Hello, Let Me Listen podcast listeners. Would you like this part of the podcast to be filled with ads for shaving clubs or underwear clubs or web hosting sites? Yeah, I didn't think so. Neither do we. So this is just a quick announcement to let you know that after several requests from fans, um, Let Me Listen podcast has opened a Patreon page. So if you would like to help support this show and um, some of the other shows that uh, Let Me Listen podcast produces, then please go to patreon.com slash lemme underscore listen and make a pledge or just click the Patreon link on the Let Me Listen website. We're only asking for $1 a month and the funds will go to making these podcasts better and ad-free. If you can't or just don't want to, don't worry about it. We still love you. And uh, thanks for listening. A podcast we'd like to recommend is the Pre-Review Podcast with the Celluloid Stallions. Every week, TNT pre-review an exciting new release and a movie podcast that thoroughly dissects movies regardless of them being released or not. No movie is safe. Unless these horses' asses haven't heard of it. You can find the Pre-Review Podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for the Pre-Review Podcast. Another podcast we like is Best Movie Never. A producer and screenwriter force guest filmmakers to dig out their old screenplay ideas out of the trash to be dissected, mocked, and possibly revived. Join Brad and Matt as they delve into the minds of movie makers in search of the craziest, far-fetched, Worst or possibly best movie ideas that never made the jump from page to picture. You can find Best Movie Never on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, as well as on their website at bestmovienever.biz. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I am Steve Shives. And on this show, Steve and I take a film out of the venerated vault of fantastic films. We take it down, we break out our microscopes, our little scientific equipment, and we take a look at what the sheet says. And if the sheet says, hey, this is a classic film that is untouchable, don't you dare review it, we crinkle up that piece of paper and we throw it away. You know why? Because we're going to give it a fresh review. If the note says, warning, toxic, we throw that piece of paper away too. You know why? Because we don't want to believe what a bunch of other jerks said about something. We're not going to let a movie rest on its reputation. We're going to pick it apart. That's what we do. Me and Steve, film scientists of the future. (laughs) We don't care what your paper says. (laughs) So, um, we are going to take a classic film and we're going to see if it lives up to its reputation. And this week, we are going to take a look at that film that had a lot to say about May-December romance and um, car repossession. <laughs> major theme. A major theme. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and what happens to a swimming pool when there's no water in it? We're, <laughs> we reviewed that classic film, Sunset Boulevard. Right, Steve? Oh, that yes. is what we yeah. watched. Yes. Yeah, this was nice Steve's suggestion. After we started recording. Because my suggestions as of late have been, hey, let's watch five-hour crap fests that, make us, that leave us wondering if we want to continue doing the podcast anymore. <laughs> 
I just, I just felt like we deserved a break. And yeah, we did. We we opted for some uh, ultimate comfort food, I think, for the two of us. Yes, indeed. <laughs> we ran screaming back to a nice, short, black and white film. And uh, that film is Sunset Boulevard. So are you ready, Steve, to uh, go into the who, who made it and who's in it? Yeah. I, I mean, if it's even important, it's a bunch of nobodies. I know. No one's heard of these people no. at all. But they happen to accidentally make a, a classic film, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, blind squirrels, etc., etc. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's face facts. This was directed by Billy Wilder. If there was no Billy Wilder, there would be no Steven Spielberg. Done. That's the end of the review. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a somewhat influential director, is what you're saying. So, time-traveling film enthusiasts, do not go back in time and kill Billy Wilder unless you want to erase Steven Spielberg, because he wouldn't have much of a, of a career if we did it. Or, ooh, <laughs> what if Spielberg got influenced by somebody else? Who else would he be influenced by, though? I don't know. Who else is around? Hitchcock? Uh, he could be, yeah, Hitchcock. Sidney yeah. Lumet? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that wouldn't have been so bad. No, 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 it wouldn't. Sidney Lumet was good. Yeah. Anyway, Sunset Boulevard, directed by the famous Billy Wilder, produced by Charles Brackett, written by Charles Brackett, Billy Wilder, and D.M. Marsh Jr., and it stars William Holden, Gloria Swanson, Erich von Stroheim, Nancy Olsen, Fred Clark, Lloyd Goch, or Go, Jack Webb. Oh! Jack Webb. The thinnest, noodliest, weirdest Jack Webb you'll ever see. Yes, the pre-Joe Friday years. Before that Webb. character ate him alive. <laughs> Franklin Farnham, Larry J. Blake, and Charles Dayton. But appearing as themselves. Mm -hmm. Cecil B. DeMille. Had a hopper, burn in hell, you harpy bitch. I hate you. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. I have no judgment. She just erupted dead. out of you. <laughs> Had a harper. Buster Keaton. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's the only reason we probably watched this movie. That's, that's the reason I... Steve the wanted reason to I... see it. He says two lines. <laughs> and they're both pass. <laughs> Anna Q. Nilsson, H.B. Warner, Ray Evans, and J. Livingston. Music by Franz Waxman. Cinematography by John F. Seitz, who gets an A. Edited mm -hmm. by Doanne Harrison and Arthur Schmidt. Distributed by Paramount Pictures. It was released on August 10th, 1950. Running time... Oh, thank you. Oh, movie. Thank you so much. Running time, 110 minutes. It was budgeted at $1.75 million, and it made $5 million. So it made its money back. Steve, are you prepared <laughs> yes. to go way back into our time machines to 1950 to, to recap the plot of this scathing indictment of the Hollywood industry? Kind of. <laughs> Are you ready to go back to Sunset Boulevard? Yes, let's turn down the driveway to the dilapidated old mansion. To the spookiest mansion Ooh. in Hollywood! <laughs> Alright, Steve. 
Oh, by the uh, way, everybody, um, I know this movie is well over 60 years old, but spoilers, as always, spoilers. Yes. We're going to spoil the fuck out of this movie. If you don't want this spoiled, go out, watch the movie, come back. You'll get all the jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's important for getting the jokes that you have seen the movie. <laughs> go for it, dude. All right, so uh, the movie opens with the title, which is painted on the curb of a sidewalk. Easiest is, title ever. <laughs> but yeah, really. And, we, well, and, you know, we just sort of dive right into it. The opening shot is on Sunset Boulevard, and some cars go racing by, yeah. some police cars with their sirens on, and uh, we meet our main character and also our narrator who oh, yeah. when when we first see him is a corpse floating in a pool mm-hmm. hey everybody <laughs> guess what this whole movie is a flashback Yippee! Hey, hey. told <laughs> by a corpse Yippee! told by a corpse <laughs> yes 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 it's it gives it a somewhat pulpy feel um by the way, i'd like to thank you movie for putting that right on front street and not leaving it as some sort of fucked up stupid surprise ending at the end yeah Bet you didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. I heard I've that the original the, the original script treatment for this was that um, it's in the morgue, and oh. it's a whole bunch of different bodies retelling their stories about how they got there. And then I guess Bill Holden's body goes, "Oh yeah, we'll check this out." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got one. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so he's we we meet him at the end. He's uh, he's floating in the pool, mm-hmm. and then he says, "Well, let me tell you how I got here." And we flash back about six months or so before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because we have narration. We have lots yeah. of it. Lots of narration it, it, all throughout the mm-hmm. the film. Yeah, and the um, narration basically is, "Oh, it was the weirdest six months of my life, but it didn't start here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And floating in the pool. <laughs> Although, if the if the movie had gone forward from the dead guy in the pool, I don't know. There is so much narration in this that I want to take that shot of him floating in the pool and just run it in a loop and then run all the narration over yes. it where it's just him floating in a pool talking to us through narration. And then that have it would, be the end. That will be the art house version. <laughs> <laughs> it will just be pool on Sunset Boulevard. Um... So when when we when we actually meet Joe uh in 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 the flashback he's a writer. Who is he's, he played by? He's played by the uh the great William Holden. Bill Holden. Bill Holden. Um and he he's a writer. He's mm-hmm. or he's trying to be a writer. He's mm-hmm. he's he's trying to be an original story writer uh in Hollywood. He's writing and, two original stories a week. Yep, two on a and, fucking but, typewriter. A and week, he, assholes. Yeah. So think you know about those, that. You know those screenplays that you've been working on for two years on your little personal computers? Shove them right up your butt. Bill yeah. Holden's been writing two a week. He isn't very good at it, but he's been doing <laughs> he's two not, a week. He's not selling any, yeah, but he's writing a them. typewriter. <laughs> yeah, he is. And, you know, which which is the kind of thing that happened. I mean, huh? that's, people that's what you like did. That. That's how writers made a living in Hollywood in the 40s and the 50s. They yeah. wrote as much as they could possibly get people to let them write. Yeah. They know? just spit out whatever stupid, lame-ass story they could possibly think of. They yeah. literally... You know, what's really funny is in uh, there's a scene in The Player where they open up a newspaper and they, they take a, a story 
Um, and they go, okay, let's write a story about, you know, this thing. And they just make up a story around a general news article. And, but that's what they were doing back in the 1950s. They were literally yeah. taking inspiration for wherever they got it. News stories, newspaper, magazine, yeah, magazine headlines, wherever. Um, we got off topic. <laughs> so he, he's, he's, he's a, he's a, a starving writer. He's, he's broke and oh, yeah. we find, and Hasn't we find paid out, his rent in three months. Yeah. Hasn't paid his rent, and uh, he gets a knock on the door, and it's the repo men come to take his car. Now, are they repo men, or are they like gangsters? Or because yeah. everyone, uh, God, I wish we could go back to this. Everyone wears a suit, and everyone wears a hat. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to tell. I think he he, he calls them. Doesn't yeah. he refer to them as like insurance men or something? No, they're they're insurance men, but they're there to repo yeah. his car. They're they're, they're mean, there for his car, but they're dressed like feds. Yeah, (laughs) they're not sweaty guys. They're like, yeah, we're here to put your car on the lift and take it. No, they could have based. They could have said they were FBI, and you would have believed. It's not like Dog the Bounty Hunter shows up. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a little. That would be an anachronism, wouldn't it? (laughs) I'm just here for the car. Yeah, but he's like, I don't Um, got any money, fellas. What do you want me to do? And they're like, we want you to give us the car, dude. I thought we made that clear. Yeah, he's like, I lent it to a friend who drove out of town. But the thing is, he didn't lend it to a friend. Oh, no, he pulled the wall over there. He's a, he's, a, he's a filthy liar, this he, Joe he, Gillis. He parked it behind the uh, the only character in this in this movie that is of color, who has no <laughs> lines, and you just see him wave to him as he drives away. And he owns a shoe shine and shop. And he owns a shoe shine shop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hi, 1950s. Um, hi, yeah, 1950s. we know where you're coming from. <laughs> um, it's how things really were, man. Whatever, dude. I know. Um, so he he's he, he's hiding his car behind the shoe shine shop, and uh, he he's gonna he needs to go and sort of scare up some work because he needs money to, so he can keep his car. That's his first priority. And then they, you know he also has his rent to pay. Yeah. So he tells us through the narration that he has an original story at Paramount Pictures. Did he need that, to tell us that? I don't think so. Probably, not. <laughs> but he does tell us. He just likes to talk. He's dead, and he's he's got her. He he wants to have some conversation. Now, Whatever, you know? dude. Um, so he goes to Paramount Pictures, mm-hmm. and he, there's a producer there that he is apparently on friendly terms with, named Sheldon. It's weird that so much happens at Paramount Pictures studio lot. It's almost as if this is a Paramount <laughs> Pictures uh, uh, production. Oh yeah, wait, it is. <laughs> huh? That's weird. It's weird. Um, <laughs> So he goes to Paramount and he's in Sheldrake's office and he's really trying to Sheldrake. sell him on this story. <laughs> Mr. Sheldrake. My name and... is Mandrake Sheldrake. I am in yeah, charge exactly. of all things written here at Paramount Studios. Exactly. I'm sorry, Mr. Gillis, but we'll simply have to pass on your story. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's trying to sell him on the story and he's like, Sheldrake is like, I don't remember your story. Yeah. So he, he gets on the phone to one of the girls in the uh, reading department. And he's mm-hmm. like, hey, find this story that this guy's talking about. Because Bring Hollywood is notorious for having a lot of illiterates in the upper management yeah. position. So they actually <laughs> have to hire people that know how to read. Exactly. You might think that they're, they're like readers like in a, on a literary journal. No, they are literally the only people who know how to read in the studio. For people who they need read to everything. know what we're actually talking about is that they get so many script submissions yeah. that there is a poor chimpanzee that has to sit there and read everyone, <laughs> leave notes, and then stick it into a gigantic incinerator, or I mean <laughs> file room. Yes, that's or in the it's old never days. seen again. In the old days, they used to do it. Now they just ship it off to digital purgatory or wherever they keep their right. their MP their 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 
Word documents or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they still have a department of people who just sit there and then they go, oh, yeah, this is about this and it's awful or <laughs> whatever. Which is basically what happens here because uh, mm-hmm. Betty, Betty, the the uh, woman from the reading department, yeah. comes comes in soon enough with uh, with Joe's story yep. and her summary of it on top, and and does she doesn't know that Joe's there, no. so she just kind of walks into Sheldrake's office with Joe sort of sort of standing behind her unnoticed, and she says, "Here's that story that you uh, you wanted, but don't worry, don't 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 yeah. bother with it because it's terrible. Yeah, yeah it sucks balls, Sheldrake. It's, it's really <laughs> it's awful." It's the worst pile of garbage I've ever read, and I read for a living. Fairly certain the person that wrote it is, I don't know, must have some kind of brain injury. I hope he's not a veteran of World War II, because I'll feel bad for saying it, but it was written like on a four-year-old level. Oh, hello, stranger that's in the room. Wait a minute. I'm not done tearing apart this writer. Just give me one more second. Anyway, I'm fairly certain that he broke his fingers or something. A lot of words don't make any sense. Maybe he's a foreigner and he doesn't understand English. Either way, um... I kind of crapped on it. Like, I took a big dump right on it. That's what I, that's my honest opinion of this script. Yeah, just a second. A stranger standing behind me. I know I've been called up here about a specific writer. <laughs> <laughs> I can't overemphasize how terrible right. the story is. Now I'm going to take this, I'm going to drop it in your trash can and set it on fire. This poo stained script. That's what I feel about it. Now, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and then Sheldrake says, perhaps you'd like to meet the writer. <laughs> And she's like, oh. Oh, I'm sorry, but it's awful. Yeah, basically, yeah. She says, I, I'm sorry you had to hear that, but it was all true. I hated your story. It was garbage. Yeah. It was dog shit. You should be ashamed. Yeah. And, and Don't look like, at me in the eye. You don't have any... <laughs> no, no, no. Turn away. Turn away. How dare you use English? Yeah. <laughs> and he makes some... Joe makes some sort of, you know... Ob- I mean, he's obviously upset mm-hmm. that she's said these bad things about his story not just because of his professional pride i'm sure but also because he wants to sell this story so he can get paid for it yeah so he and, can uh, pay his rent and pay off the guys who want his car because uh, let's say the most realistic thing about this movie is the simple fact that if you don't have a fucking car in los angeles you're doomed you can't move yeah. more than three blocks from where you're living i know i love i have plenty of friends that live in la and they, you can't get anywhere without a car because there's no public transportation to speak of. He has a line in there that says, it's like, taking my legs away. And that's yeah. right. So I'm not going to make fun of his motivation for trying to keep his car. No, no. It's, yeah, like you say, it's pretty realistic. And, it's, well, and you know, he's, that's what, that's who he is. He's it, a struggling writer. In point of fact, to... you could probably say that the events of this movie are supposed to depict how our over-reliance on the automobile can lead to our eventual death in a pool. I am positive that that was Billy Wilder's message for this movie. I am positive. Um, so, yeah, so they people had... like Chrysler is like, we got to get this movie squashed. <laughs> it's all about how cars get people shot in pools. If they find out about the pool death link with our automobiles, we're doomed. At least make sure the car is a Ford. <laughs> we could run commercials off of that. If only Joe been driving a Chrysler. <laughs> So anyway, him and so his narration sh- yeah. are driving around. Oh, he goes to Schwab's. He goes yeah, he to went Schwab's. to Schwab's drugstore. Narration lets us know that Schwab's is a place where most writers nervously wait around for something. You know, news or whatever. Oh, and then he goes to me. He, he, uh, he calls a bunch of people and he finally gets a hold of his agent. Yeah. Who's golfing. And he's like, find me work. <laughs> and the agent's like, um work more how about how about you write 
And he's like, that sounds stupid. <laughs> I need my I want money. <laughs> and the agent says, no, and you, you know what? Hungry writers make for better writers. And if you don't have your car, it'll force you to stay at home and write. And he's like, you're stupid. And he's like, maybe you want another agent. And he's like, okay, you beat me. And he just wanders off. Stupid agent. <laughs> How dare you say something that makes sense. I'm basically <laughs> acting like a 10-year-old because I don't want someone to take away a thing that I refuse to pay for. <laughs> or can't. Or whatever. But <sighs> my car! So he's driving around in the car. Yeah. And, and him and his narration are having a, having a good old time. He's and like, then the narration notices. <laughs> the narration notices the repo men like sitting and across from him at a stop sign. <laughs> I really expect that the narration was like, yeah, and then because he's like literally mid sentence, and I got to find some simoleons before. Uh oh. Oh shit. Oh 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 shit! Me in the car. Quiet, 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 quiet. Shut up, narration. He'll hear Stop you. Stop narrating. What me? No, I have to say what's going on. Shut up, narration. They'll hear what you're saying. <laughs> Just go. What? Just drive. Drive, damn it. Turn now. But there's not a turn. I said turn, damn it. I hope those repo men don't see us. And then he look. <laughs> God damn it, narration. <laughs> and now we get something that we don't expect. A car chase. A car chase. Down Sunset dun Boulevard. Dun 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 <laughs> yep. Well, an old school car chase. Uh-huh. Watching these old cars look like they're about to flip over on every turn. Even yep. making a U-turn. They look like they're about <laughs> they're... to just roll right over. And you know they're going, like, what, 40? Yeah, they're going 40 <laughs> like, whole at miles most. an hour. Uh, yeah. So he's he's being chased by the insurance men. Mm-hmm. And he, out of, it, just in desperation, he turns in this driveway, hoping that they'll mm-hmm. sort of... He gets a flat. Or not. Yeah, he gets a yeah, that's right. He gets a flat and he has to turn down the driveway. Yeah. And the repo men drive past. Because they're not good no. at their jobs. They no. don't think to go to, to to look to the left when they pass by a driveway when the car they're chasing is no longer in front of them. <laughs> Where'd it go? Luckily, Joe turned into the haunted mansion right at Disneyland. Yes, he did. He, there's there's this abandoned weed covered mansion and an open garage and he's like hot diggity. The gods of writing have provided me a portal for which for me to put my car and keep it safe from the bad men's. <laughs> and he pulls in and there's another car in there that looks old and I think he says gets uh, a mile to ten gallons or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And he seems to think that the house is abandoned. Yeah, well, it looks Be- abandoned. Because it looks like it's not been taken care of. Uh, so he's, his plan is to stash the car in the garage and just to sort of figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then someone, and so he's out walking around in the courtyard, and someone from the house starts yelling at him. Yeah, and he's it's not like, used hey, to being you up here. And he's like, "That's not the narration. Ah, that's not my narration. What? Who, that's, who is that's, that? That's a voice from outside my head. That's a woman's voice." <laughs> and he looks up there, and there's a mysterious woman up in uh, behind blinds. And then all of a sudden, there's a German dude, and he's like, "This way," <laughs> and he's like. Okay, <laughs> not not gonna fight you. <laughs> and that's when we that's when we meet. Oh, my brain! That's when we meet Erich von Stronheim, otherwise yep. known as Max von Max, Meierling. Yes, and Max is this uh, bald German butler dude, and he's like, "We've been expecting you. Come in." And Joe's kind of like, uh, "Wait, I got to tell you. No, no, no. You got to come in. Come on." Wait, no, see, I just, it's about the, yeah, we don't care. Go upstairs and talk to the, the woman upstairs. She doesn't like to be kept waiting. 
And he's like, ah, fine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. Yeah, and he goes upstairs, and who does he see? He sees, uh, well, he sees uh, a woman that he doesn't recognize at first, mm. but, but she's... Uh, she she's got like dark glasses on, and she's, she's got a turban, and she's a turban, sunglasses. and she's talking about funeral arrangements. She's talking about yeah. how she want. I want the coffin to be white, and I want it to be lined in satin and purple, maybe yeah. red. And he's like, "What? What are you talking about?" And there's this a body draped with a with a, a an afghan, and she adjusts it a little bit, and then. Something that would have made me pee my pants and run screaming out of the mansion happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is a big, not-human hand falls out and hangs there limply. <laughs> and then he looks over the blanket and it turns out it's a chimpanzee. Cheetah, what have they done to you? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And it turns out this crazy lady wants to have a funeral and bury her chimpanzee in the backyard. And she right? has mis- yeah, she has mistaken Joe for a funeral the, the funeral person. director. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, Hey, I just got a flat. <laughs> I was just parked in your garage and stuff. So good luck with the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Freak. <laughs> <laughs> well, then he's like, oh, hey, haven't I seen you somewhere before? And, and he recognizes like, her. Yeah. And she says, I'm Norma Desmond, and I'm a little bit crazy, <laughs> perhaps bipolar. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, he, he, he sets her up. He gives her a nice fat pitch for, for oh, the yeah. first. Oh, yeah. He does it a first, lot. <laughs> the first of her many memorable lines in this film. He says, you used to be in pictures. You used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then he's like, Inspiring yeah. drag queens from here until the end of time. <laughs> and he's like, and, and she starts complaining about movies. She's oh, clearly yeah. been, been waiting for any any tiny pretense to launch into a rant about how much Hollywood sucks nowadays. Well, but so also, goes, I think um, a pic, the pictures got small is also a uh, knock on television. On television, yeah. But you know she's she was a silent star, and she has a big problem with all the words in movies now. Mm-hmm. And when Joe lets slip that he's a writer, because he said he he says, "Oh, hey, don't blame me. I don't make the movies. I just write them." And she's like, "Oh, yeah. you're a writer, writing words, 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 all the place words. I hate words, even though it's... I probably have the most dialogue in this movie. <laughs> Yo, stupid words." But um, since I, I do hate them, but I have written a script that's about five million pages long. There are words in the script, but nobody says the words in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that she's some big shit queen of the silent movie era, and she's rich. She well establishes she's very well off. Mm-hmm. But she is no longer in the limelight. She is a faded star because she's an incredible 50 years old and oh what a horrible hag she's become or whatever (laughs) (laughs) over the hill this is one of the things where my memories of the movie conflict with what I watched and I was like she's actually a very attractive 50 year old woman I mean she's really she's not awful looking at all (laughs) No. I I remember when I was 20, in my 20s and watching this, I was like, oh, she's an older woman. Uh, and then my memory of it changed to, like, she's, like, super old, like, 
Betty Davis last appearance on the Oscars old. Yeah. You know, yeah, kind of... like caked in makeup. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like mommy dearest kind of out what's yeah. going on kind of deal. But now watching it this time, she's like, she's in great shape. She's not, she's wearing a lot of low cut dresses and stuff like that. She's in pretty yeah. much the same shape as the ingenue writer character that we met earlier. Yeah, um, yeah. So this idea that we're going to make her into a monster, it, it kind of, it's like, oh, I don't know. Okay, just concentrate on her craziness. That'll be good. <laughs> exactly. She's she's somewhat eccentric. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, she's written this movie mm-hmm. that she finds out that Joe's a writer and she's like, would you like to read my script? And it's this this phone book of a of a script, mm. and uh, it's about Salome, 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 and, and this is her, <laughs> and this is her supposed to be her big comeback vehicle. Yeah, this is what she's going to become a star again. Yeah, she's going to come back because all the fans never forgave her for, for deserting giving. the screen. Boy, there are so many lines that are just stolen. From this movie. She, okay, here's one of the things. We're going to say this right now. She is such an archetype. She is such... This role... I mean, if you rewatch this after having... If you're a fan of movies, this is this is it. If you think yeah. that this is, this is hackneyed or old hat, it only seems hackneyed because this is the progenitor of this type of character. Yeah. The the washed up has been that doesn't realize that they're a washed up has been who is also sidled with an ego that will that could destroy planets, <laughs> and and so there are times where you're kind of like uh, but you have to remind yourself when you're watching it, this is where Miss Piggy came from. Oh God, okay, <laughs> absolutely. And there have been so many other people that have ripped off this character and parodies and everything else. Um, that it's kind of become the, this mainstay. And my joke about drag queens taking it, there's a reason why drag queens take this character. And that is because it is gloriously overplayed when she's being melodramatic. Oh, God, yes. She, and especially in the early, about, about the first half of the movie, uh, when she, she'll, like, leap to her feet, you know, oh, yeah. and, like, thrust her hands into the well, sky. Well, they watch a movie later uh, on where she stands up and goes, that'll be me up there in the pictures again, <laughs> Gods will weep at my feet. Oh my god, she's in another manic state. I kept expecting Max to show up with like a dart gun. Yes. Madam must calm down. <laughs> I will take Madam back to her room. Anyway, uh Joe starts thinking, hey, this dame is crazy, but she's loaded. Mm-hmm. I gotta play this just right. Your script is awful. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't help you. Yeah, can't help you. No, no, no. I'm terribly busy. I'm working up at Paramount. I got all these. Yeah. God, so many irons in the fire. So many he, irons. He and, feeds uh, her a line of bullshit. Yeah. And she's like, no, you've got to stay. You have to stay with me. Yeah, you can work on it. I'll pay you. Why don't you mm-hmm. stay the night? And he's like, okay. So they put him up in the room over the garage. All this stuff has already been moved in there because Max knows. Max has been down this road before. <laughs> this isn't going to be the only writer they fish out of the pool. Let's just say that. <laughs> Joe's just going to be the latest one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's one up in the chimney that we can't get down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, they move him into the room above the garage. And so it was doesn't deal- he- Yeah. Huh? He he wakes up the next morning and he hears the organ being played. 
right? Well, and, I mean, they reference the organ when he's in there because the organ is so old that when the wind blows, it makes noise. Yeah, yeah. To add creepy level factor to the house even higher. <laughs> We're yes. talking about a house that is filled with pictures of herself, with of of of, of Norma Desmond. Just pictures, pictures, paintings everywhere of her. It's dimly lit. It is lushly decorated. But it feels very faded, very old. It feels like it feels like a ghost of the movie industry passing away. Yeah. You know? It would have been nice for me to be able to come up with that on my own rather than having the narration tell me, but which it does <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh it's already a creepy house and now we have a creepy organ. <laughs> and it's being played the next day by a creepy German guy. So Yeah, a creepy you know. German guy. And right. he's playing the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, Norma and and Joe come to an agreement, kind of, which is he's going to help her with her script, and he's going to be her boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. The second part of which he doesn't know about right away. <laughs> yeah. That's a surprise. Yeah, that comes later. <laughs> um. Now, now we enter into the whole, hey, you don't have any clothes. I'm going to buy you clothes. Let's go out and buy clothes. And Joe's like, oh, I got my own clothes. And he's like, no, if you're going to be on my arm. You've got to look good. <laughs> I like nice looking boy candy on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> so they go out and they buy him clothes and all this other stuff. And there's going to be a deal with a jacket. And he's feeling a little uncomfortable. And it's made worse by a shopkeeper who comes up to him. Yeah. And he's like, hey, we got a camel hair. And we got one that's made out of, like, he's saying a word wrong. Someone is saying a word wrong. I think he's. I think he means ermine or something like that. Yeah, which is more expensive. And then he leans in really grossly close to his golden's <laughs> ear and he whispers in it with his dirty, lascivious lips. So if the old lady's paying for it, why not go with the more expensive one? And then Joe goes, "Oh no, I'm a kept man." <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Oh no, I've become a boy toy. When did this happen? <laughs> But then, um, well, and they it, buy clothes. Yeah. He watches movies with her. That's when she has her freak out. Her freak up. out. Because the only, oh, here, yeah, let's add, add to it. She only watches her movies. Yeah. And they actually show clips from her old movies because uh, Gloria Swanson was a star of silent films. Yeah. They show old Gloria Swanson movies. Yeah. Which yeah. is pretty cool. Um, yeah, and she and- worked very closely with Cecil B. DeMille. Yes, who, she did. Uh, who uh, Norma Desmond name drops almost constantly. <laughs> she also worked uh, in real life with Eric von Stroheim, who plays Max. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's all kinds of real life things going on in the movie. Um, and she, uh, they're all as they're working on the script. She is also she refuses to have anything cut. There's a oh, scene yeah. where where Joe is he sort of takes a red pencil to to a couple of pages of the script and throws it in the trash, and she yeah. immediately like jumps up off the couch and she's like, "Put it back." She's like, what scene was that? It was you in the slave market. You cut out a scene with me? <laughs> Put it back. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay. And then we have the uh, the scene where she plays bridge with her friends. The Waxworks. Who Joe calls the Waxworks, who are also <laughs> ghosts of the bygone silent film era. And that's, uh, who is that? That's Anna, Anna Nilsson. Uh, Buster Keaton, your favorite, and yeah. I can't remember the other guy's name. Oh shit, I can't either. No, like, I you feel would like recognize I... him almost immediately. Yeah, they were. 
believe he's Mr. Gower. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, then they have a they have a stem something, and his car gets repossessed. They sh- they find the car, and he's like, "I need some money," and she's like, "Go away! I'm playing your <laughs> card game. Go." And he goes up to Max. And he's like, "Max, take my car," and he's like, "I don't help you." Because I I barely tolerate your presence. <laughs> Leave me alone. You're only alive because the madam wishes it. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. Max would strangle him in a heartbeat if Norma gave him the agreed upon look. Yeah. So they tow his car away, and now he's literally trapped in that house. Yeah. With her and him, with no with nowhere no no way of getting out or doing anything. Um, and is this when? Um, what's your face from the the studio keeps calling? Uh, there. Yeah, she was. Well, she she calls. Yeah, she calls and Max answers the phone. Yeah, right? and, Max and Max is, is like, like nobody's never heard here. Of him again. You're crazy. Go away. Don't make me kill you. <laughs> he hangs up the phone. And she's trying to get a hold of him because of a script thing, and he doesn't know that uh, someone's trying to get a hold of him. And then it's. Uh, New Year's? Yeah. Okay, so it's New Year's, and apparently there's going to be a great big party. There's lots of flowers coming. He has a brand new tuxedo, um, and he's getting ready for some shindigs, right? And yeah. He comes downstairs, and she's dancing around, and she's like, dance with me. And he's like, okay. And then he's like, where's everybody else? And she's like, there is nobody else coming. <laughs> Because me and you are going to get naked with the sexy times, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And Joe's like, I'm going to go. And Joe's like, oh. Oh, fuck, you're in love with me. God damn it. I don't know why I didn't think you were before. (laughs) You've just been paying for everything and everything. (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to go grab my expensive coat and I'm going to go. I'm leaving. This is too much for me. You don't actually. He's kind of nicer about it. He says, "Look, yeah. you don't want to be in love with me because I'm a jerk," and he is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Joe's very self-aware. He's been he's he's been using this woman, and now she's has seems to have genuine feelings for him, and he's kind of like, "No, you don't want any part of this lady," and he leaves. And somehow he manages. He goes to Schwab's, right? Uh, no, he goes to. Uh... Jack Webb's house. Jack Webb, that's right. No, because yeah. he meets Jack Webb earlier, right? Yeah, they're friends. He's Artie, right? Artie is the character. Artie, name. yeah. And, and he and, somehow doesn't know that Artie is engaged to the, the reader at Paramount. Yeah. <laughs> Who has been trying to call him, though he doesn't know about that. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, he goes to Artie's house because Artie's having a big New Year's Eve party. Mm-hmm. And that's when he, he, he reconnects with Betty, the, the script reader. Yeah. And she tells him, oh, I was going through some of your old original stories at the studio and I found this yeah. one that yeah. I didn't hate 100% of it. Yeah. It was, I liked was... like 5% of it. <laughs> yeah. Let's go into the bathroom and almost make out. Yeah. Even though I just got done talking to your fiance, who is yeah. like my best friend and we're yeah. at his house. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> well, that's working out. <laughs> <laughs> but he needs to make a phone call because he's decided he's going to sleep on the couch at Artie's house and he's done. He's done. He's done. It doesn't matter what the money or anything else. He he 
he does not want to be in this relationship with Norma Desmond, who's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. He's not, he's not, no. And finally the phone gets free, and he calls back to the house, and what happens, Steve? Uh, well, Max answers the phone, and he says, uh, nice going, Joe, because after you left, uh, Madam got the razor out of your room and cut her wrists and then max hangs up yeah and he he books it he doesn't yeah. say anything to anybody he leaves he, 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 he runs takes back, off for the yeah. house and he gets there and uh norma's crying and joe is like fuck <laughs> and she's <laughs> like i'm gonna do it again <laughs> <laughs> you don't get it i love you and if you leave it's party overtime for norma desmond I don't care. I don't care if my fans will never forgive me for dying. This is going to be on you, Joe. And Joe goes, okay, fine, let's make out and, I guess, have sex. Because we have one of those classic, even before they kiss, they they fade out. Right? Yeah. He goes to sit down on the bed, and then he leans in, and then they fade out. Now, here's the thing. There was no need to fade out on that. They faded out on that because they thought, no one wants to watch a young guy kiss a 50-year-old woman. <laughs> Fuck you, movie. <laughs> I would watch. <laughs> I want to see. So now we enter a period of time where she's manic happy and just doing really crazy things, Steve. <laughs> like when he would get bored, she would reenact her her. Polly's days? Yeah, she as a bathing beauty. Be, as a bathing beauty? <laughs> and then she does her Charlie Chaplin tramp impression. <laughs> which is actually pretty good. It's actually very good. Yeah. And it gets ripped off by a couple of other movies, too. That's <laughs> yeah. almost the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she gets a phone call, and it's... Who is it, Steve? It's, it's, it's the studio. It's Paramount. It's Paramount. And, of course, she thinks that this is related to her script. Yeah, because they sent the script to they, Paramount. Yeah, they sent the script to Paramount and so she and, and but it, she thinks it's someone from DeMille's office calling, mm. but it's not. It's it's not DeMille, it's someone else. And she says, "Well, I if DeMille wants me for his film, he can call me himself. Max, hang up." So <laughs> Max does Max it. hangs up. Um, Somewhere around here we discover through dialogue between Joe and Max that Max is actually the one that's been writing all of the fan mail. Yeah, yeah, Max She is... says, I get fan mail every day it's in the same handwriting. <laughs> it's all from, it it's all postmarked the same. syntax, like the person, like English is their second language. They have really intimate knowledge between my, my relationship between myself and Max. It's really strange, but it's fan mail nonetheless. <laughs> the people love me. But it turns out Max is the one that's been doing it. Because he is so he's so dedicated to her. Yes, he wants to maintain her delusion. Yeah, at all costs. Um, in the meantime, oh no no no, and so yeah yeah yeah. What happens is they decide we're going to Paramount. Yeah, to see Demille to, personally. To go see Demille personally, yeah. And they get in the car. They get all gussied up. They go to the gate. The younger guy is like, "Get the fuck out of here, old lady!" <laughs> and the older guy goes, "Jonesy." <laughs> it smacks him on the head. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? That is a classy broad over there. That is Norma Desma, you pile of fucking puke. Excuse me a minute, Miss Desmond, while I beat the shit out of this guy with my truncheon. <laughs> they let her on uh, into Paramount, and she drives up to the studio where CCB to BB. One of the other things that happens is that they all get a call in the studio before she shows up, Yeah, which goes something like this. Yeah? 
What? Norma who? <laughs> Norma Desmond? Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. <laughs> Someone tell Cecil B. DeMille. Hey, Norma Desmond's coming. Norma Desmond's coming? <laughs> All right, I'll tell him. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. DeMille? Yes? Norma Desmond's coming. I peed a little. <laughs> DeMille's, DeMille's actual reaction is great because he, he his first words are, oh, I bet it's about that horrible script. Yeah, I bet it's about that horrible <laughs> script. And some guy's like, well, you just, just tell her tell her it's awful or something. Be a jerk. And he's like, look, dummy. <laughs> Paramount Pictures wouldn't exist if it wasn't for this woman. So you're going to be nice to her or I'm going to cram my fist straight up your asshole. You got it? I'm Cecil B. DeMille and you're going to be nice to this nice lady. <laughs> and they're like, okay. Okay, fine. So she goes into the studio where um, DeMille is, is working. And Joe stays behind. And uh, when she goes into the studio, everyone doesn't notice her at first. And she sits down and DeMille is like, here, watch us work. We're in rehearsal, blah, blah, blah. And one of the stagehands up there is like, hey, I'm Gummy. Remember me? And she's <laughs> like, oh, hello, Gummy. And then he puts a spotlight right on her. Actually, this scene does have a really great little bit of character thing where she's sitting there and a and a boom mic goes past her head and catches the feather in her hat. Yeah. And she looks up and sees the microphone and her distaste for sound is such that she just pushes the microphone away. <laughs> yes, I love that. Um, but pretty soon the actors that are in this movie and everybody who, some of the older people who are still working in Hollywood, they all start gathering around her and she's getting all of this attention that she she loves so much. And everyone's gathered around her and talking and blah, 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 blah. And then DeMille just comes up and with one unintentionally cruel line says, Gummy, put that light where it belongs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, what has happened uh, is uh, DeMille has DeMille found out who from the studio was. Yeah. Cause he wants to know. God yeah, damn it. Who, He's like, who's who responsible? Said, who infected me with this woman? <laughs> and it turns out that there was an executive who saw her car. Yeah. Her, Cause her, her car that the one that, that Joe saw in the garage at the beginning yeah. of the movie is he like this for a Crosby picture. Yeah. It's this classic like vintage car that's worth, mm -hmm. you know, in today's money, probably like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's uh, probably in Jay Leno's. Yeah. Garage. Jay Leno's got the fucking thing now. <laughs> yeah. I got I'm that the, car from yeah, the Sunday Boulevard car. I never drive it. Yeah. You better run. Do you want to hear me? Yeah. You want to hear me? Yeah. I, fixed it, I fixed it up myself. <laughs> um, and uh, so they, they, they want to rent the car for a movie. And DeMille is like, oh, shit. Well, don't tell her. And yeah, find another car. This. I've known her since she was an infant or something. <laughs> yeah. I'll take care of it. And then everyone disperses, goes back to their jobs. And then I can't remember. What does DeMille do? Um, well, the, he, we see him leading her out like of the soundstage and yeah. he doesn't commit to anything, but mm -hmm. Norma, Norma has sort of gotten the impression that they're definitely going to work together. And after mm -hmm. he's done with this movie, then, you know, they're going to do her movie and DeMille just sort of pats her on the head and says, well, we're very busy, but we'll yeah. see what we can do. The awful you Hollywood know. handshake, which yeah. is, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, like, I don't want to tell you to fuck off, yeah. but that's what I want to tell you. <laughs> exactly. We don't want to tell you it's awful and your your star is past. Although, at 50, there is no reason why she shouldn't be working. 
No, no. Aside from what we pick up in this thing, which is apparently towards the end of her career, she was a nightmare to work with. Yeah, and that comes out and a little bit. Springs out almost immediately yeah. when she says, "And remember, I don't, I don't shoot anything before ten o'clock or after four thirty. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, I can't wait to work with you. <laughs> And another person um, says the the problem is her press people. Press people can do uh, incredible damage to people. Yeah. And the the implication is is that the people who were doing her press, who were blowing her up and making her grand, she started to believe that, and so, so she kind of fell into that kind of trap. Yeah. Anyway, while she's inside, um, Joe sees oh, what's the character's name? Oh, Betty. Betty, thank yeah, you. Yeah, they happen Josie's to be Betty. parked right below the readers' yeah. department. Yeah, because yeah. there's the because Max is like, you see all that over there from that end to that end. That used to be her whole dressing room. And Joe's like, uh huh. He's like, and I had the upstairs up there. I had my own room, black patent leather, which sent a shiver down my spine. Yes. I, don't know why, but the idea that an entire room that is outfitted in black patent leather occupied by a German just it just skews me out a little bit. Yeah. I'm just picturing Max, this balding <laughs> this balding German guy going, Yes, it's a black patent leather. Those were the so days. <laughs> anyway, Joe looks over to that building and he sees Betty and he runs up to Betty and he goes, Hey, what's going on? And she's like, I've been trying to get a hold of you. And he's like, No, you haven't. And she's like, Yes, you have some weird oak on the phone. <laughs> and it says you're not there. And he says, Oh, well, uh, uh blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Look, can we work on this thing? There's this part in your script that I think we could really work out. It could be a romantic comedy. God knows we need another one of those. <laughs> but with a romantic comedy about a school teacher, and you can work on it. And he's like, uh, 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 and uh, that's it. I don't think he commits to anything, right? No, because well, the, yeah, the, the idea is that he wants to, but he knows that he can't get yeah, away with it. And he really doesn't want him. anybody to know that he's a kept man. Yeah. They really don't want anyone to know what he's been doing to survive. And so then they go back to the mansion and he starts seeing Betty in secret at night right to work on this script and love feelings happen mm-hmm. and she says she's got plenty of time because Artie is in Arizona filming a western great <laughs> and they just start working on this awful script for the romantic comedy and then Max sees him taking the car and confronts him and he's like, just don't let the madam see you. And he's like, oh, fine. What are you, some kind of freakazoid? And he says, oh, yeah, you bet. Because, you know, you want to know something? Get ready, musical sting people. You ready? Here, Here it comes. comes. It's coming out of my mouth now. I was her first husband. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and not only that, he was he was the filmmaker who discovered her. Yeah, he, he was, was a, a great, great director. Yeah. There were three directors. D.W. Griffiths, <laughs> Cecil B. DeMille, and this motherfucker with the <laughs> thumb pointing at him. <laughs> but I loved her so much. Even after the divorce, I decided to become her yeah. butler. <laughs> I'm crazier than she is. I was one of the three most awesome filmmakers in the world. But when we divorced, <laughs> it was so depressing that I gave it all up and became her butler. 
<sighs> and Joe's like, oh god, I've got to get out of Holy here. Holy shit. <laughs> um, but then he continues to sneak out, and he gets to... he. There's a couple of uh, instances where... Um, they're walking around the sound stages late at night after everything's closed and just the night people are working on sets and stuff like that, which is kind of neat. Yeah. And uh, they're they're getting, they're, they're starting to connect. And uh, they get really close to doing something bad. Yeah. And he's like, listen, just stand two feet away from me. Okay? <laughs> that's a little, that's an actual line. For yeah. Me. He's like, for both of our sakes, just don't ever get close to me again. And she's like, okay. Whew! Thanks, movie. <laughs> Thanks for not falling into cliche. That's awesome. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the next time he comes back, she's upset. And he's like, what's wrong? And she's like, nothing. And she's like, what's wrong? And she's like, um, Artie wants me to go to Arizona to stay with him while he's doing the movie. And he's like, that's great. And he says, yeah, we can get married for like $2 in Arizona. And he's like, that's fantastic. That's what you want, right? And she's like, yeah, but, um, I want to bone you now. Yeah. <laughs> the thing Artie's is, been the gone hell with for Artie. like a week. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, you know what? That's just life when you're Bill Holden. I guess so because just... they're they're kissing they're kissing and kissing. Yeah. And then he goes back to the house and Max is like, "What the fuck, dude? What are you doing? <laughs> You're in a lot of trouble." And he's like, "I'm working on this script and I'm going to finish it and I'm going to sell it and I'm going to be out of this joint." Right? That's what happens. Yeah. Right? And and Norma uh Norma finds a copy of the script. Yeah. She finds a copy because she comes into his room and he's asleep because he's been up all night writing the script. And she's like, Joe, 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 I talk to myself when you're asleep. <laughs> oh, Joe. And then she sees the script. She runs over. She reads it. And it says, Untitled Love Story by Joe, lead character, and Betty, <laughs> that girl that works at Paramount. <laughs> and she starts doing the creepiest girlfriend stuff you can imagine. <laughs> Which is calling Betty up at the house and going, Betty, you don't know about Joe, but I do because he's been balls deep in me. What? No, yes, he has. Oh, yes. I like monkeys. Do you know what that means? My last boyfriend was a chimpanzee. <laughs> and Joe walks in while she's on the phone. Yeah, and he yanks the phone away from her and he's like, Betty, come over. And Betty should have just said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, can I say no? I'm good. I'm going to Arizona now. A bye. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. And he's like, no, Betty, you got to come over to the house. You want to know, you know the truth? You're going to find out all the truth, all the truth everywhere. And Norma's like, I bought a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's like, whatever. And by the way, Billy Wilder knows about Chekhov's law. <laughs> You have a gun, it's going to get used, Joe. Joe, Joe I'm you're, still crazy. You're a writer, Joe. You know about that. I wanted to use the gun on me, but I lost my nerve. Hello, anybody? Am Joe, I just being crazy for myself? <laughs> Joe's like, I'll be with you in a minute. I'm going to go talk to my other girlfriend. You just yeah. sit on that for, for a while. So Betty has one of her girlfriends drive her out to the house. And the girlfriend says, is this a good idea? And she's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> 
drives out to the house. She comes in. Joe actually makes her come in because the first thing she says at the doorway is, why am I afraid? <laughs> He's like, get your ass in here. Let me show you around. Look at all this stuff over here. Look at this. Pictures and all that stuff. This woman has everything except she didn't have a boyfriend. Except for me. She pays me to be her boyfriend. She pays me to have sex with her and be her boyfriend. That's who I am. That's me, Joe. Male <laughs> prostitute. Are you happy now? <laughs> Bye, Betty. Run away, Betty. Run as far away as possible. I imagine that Betty runs to Arizona after leaving <laughs> yes. the house. She's like, click, running her, directly to Arizona. Her friend in the car is like, wait. <laughs> Way, she just tears off down the road. <laughs> it's like a Warner Brothers cartoon. Dun, 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 dun. Or he's like, how did you get here? Wow. <laughs> and with that, Joe has made a life decision. <laughs> and that life decision is what? He is also going to leave. Yep. He's, going he's going to back leave. to Ohio. He's going back to Ohio, back to his job at the newspaper. As which, a copy editor. Yeah, which he left to chase his dreams in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And Norma's like, no, I don't think so. No, Joe, you don't understand. (laughs) I'm crazy and I have a gun. (laughs) Joe's like, I don't care. I'm leaving. I'm packing up my bag. Max is like, finally. (laughs) (laughs) Let him leave. (laughs) I can get my old room back, maybe. And he's like, Norma, you're... And he basically lets her know, Norma, you're a washed-up lunatic. At one point, he literally tells her, there is, your your career should not be over. Your 50 is not the end of your life. Right. He literally tells her that directly. You're only 50 years old. That is not the end of your life. Like, she's treating... Because remember, yeah. oh, we forgot. She also got uh, cosmetic surgery. Because yeah. she's so certain... That she's going to be getting this movie that she wants to look as young as possible. So she got some cosmetic surgery done. Yeah. But um, she ain't hearing it. <laughs> she's like, Joe, you're going to come back. And he's like, no, I'm leaving. I got my bag. Goodbye, Norma. Thanks. Here's all your jewelry back. Here's the gold cigarette case. Here's all this stuff. Just take bye. Goodbye. I don't need it. Going back to Ohio. Los Angeles is a nightmare land. <laughs> and and you are mayor of Nightmare Town and I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> and and she follows him outside and she's like, "Joe, I know how to get you back. I'll I'll put a bullet right in your back." And she does it. And she's like, "Oh, that didn't work. I'll do it again." Bang. <laughs> nope. How come he's not coming back to me? Still he turns around to look at her. Oh, maybe this last bullet will bring him back to me. Bang. He goes into the water and he's dead. Then what happens, Dave? Well, we're back at where we were. We're back where we started. Joe's like, hi, remember I'm a corpse. And and now the the police are there fishing Joe out of the pool. Mm -hmm. And the media has arrived as well. The the news, Mm -hmm. the newsreel cameras are here. For uh, people in the movies and television and a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And Norma is upstairs in her room and Hedda Hopper is there. Yeah. Hedda Hopper is there. Fucking in the room, gross, <laughs> calling harpy. calling in the story, being the vulture that she always is. Yeah, and um, the police are there, just sort of they're trying to be gentle with Norma. They're they're not like yeah. dragging her out in cuffs or because anything because like, she's gone cuckoo. Yeah, she, <laughs> she's putting makeup on in front of the vanity, and uh, mm. and she hears someone say the cameras are here, and she's and she snaps out of it. She's like cameras. No, she doesn't snap out of it. She goes deeper in. No, that's true. Yeah, she, she, the, the cameras are here. 
I'll go see the cameras, you know, because uh, she mm-hmm. she's convinced herself that the news cameras are movie Tell cameras. Tell Mr. DeMille I'll be down in 10 minutes. Yeah. And, and uh, Max is kind of like, guys, this is the only way we're getting her downstairs without a dart gun. Right. And I'm all out of darts. So play along. And I'm like, oh, yeah, me and Jonesy, we're both in our improv class at the police school. I think we'll do it. They're like, hey, yeah, Miss Miss uh, Silent Movie Actress Lady. <laughs> I mean, these these are detectives in Hollywood. They know the score. They've probably got scripts in at Paramount themselves. Oh yeah, they all went to Hollywood to become famous and wound up as cops. Yeah, well, you know, it's a typical story. Went to L.A. to become famous, wound up as a beat detective, and uh, flatfoot. <laughs> wound up arresting Norma Desmond. Funny story. <laughs> Who would have known? <laughs> Funny so, thing was, when I was a kid, I masturbated to all those pictures she made, and now I'm arresting her. Ain't that weird? Hey, circle of life. <laughs> Life's funny, ain't it? Anyway, come on. So they play along. Max goes down, stands next to a couple of cameras, and starts acting as if it's a movie set. Yeah. Norma comes out. She's like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I am. And Max is like, you're on the staircase going down. And she's like, oh, because I'm a princess or something. <laughs> and he's like, yep. Sure. Ready? Uh, cameras and the movie cameras start. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, action. And she comes down. She comes down the hallway and uh, down the stairway. And she gets down to the bottom and she says, oh, I just I, I'm sorry, but I, I'm just so happy. And she has a nice little monologue. And then she says the famous line, which is, All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. And then she walks towards the camera, and there there it um, uh, begins to uh, fade. It starts to, to gloss over. And the creepiest effect ever happens when, as the, the clouding effect happens, her face, for a split second, becomes a skull. <laughs> <laughs> And then she lives in your nightmares. (laughs) And then the movie's over. Hooray! (laughs) So, Steve. Yes, sir. How do you feel about this great Hollywood classic? This scathing attack on Hollywood and the entertainment industry. How do you feel (laughs) about Sunset Boulevard? Um, I'm glad we we did this as our our first episode after uh, <laughs> Heaven's Gate. That movie that will not be named. <laughs> that movie, um, because this is. I mean, I say I say this a lot because I tend to be overly effusive about things that I like. But uh, mm. this is this is one of my favorite movies. I mean, I love this movie so much. I love this movie from beginning to end, and uh, I just it's it's difficult for me to overpraise this movie because it's oh but i'm sure you're gonna make it a valiant effort aren't i'm you? gonna go for it <laughs> um no i mean it's i i, I gloria swanson's performance here is one of my favorite performances from anybody mm-hmm. ever in a movie i think she she does go over the top quite a lot but i think it's to her credit that she also is able to pull it back down and create and by the end of the movie uh norma is a fully realized character she's not just mm-hmm. a caricature which is quite something because i mean in those scenes like when she's when she and uh joe are watching that movie and she leaps to her feet and she's like i'll be up there again i mean it's like how do you 
How is that not well, a cartoon? One of the things, but... one of the things that I, I really admire about the Gloria Swanson character is that she vacillates between. She's very much a character that is trapped in the persona that she's created for herself, because there are instances in this film where she is very human and extraordinarily likable. Yeah, but unfortunately, that other part of her kind of takes over. Yeah, and and kind of eats her alive. That there is still there is still a person there. There's still a human being that's there that acts like a normal human <laughs> being. Yeah, but that this creature that she has become because of Hollywood um, supersedes her actual her actual personality and the ending of this film is literally that personality having consumed her completely yeah the 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 Norma Desmond movie star sort of takes over yeah um, and you so there's a there's a, a brilliant central performance by by Gloria Swanson uh, William Holden is fantastic playing a really mm. really tricky character because as we said as we went he's the, not a nice guy he's not a nice guy but he is a nice guy yeah he's, <laughs> he's likable and interesting enough that that you know it's not a chore to follow him through the movie and to have him be sort of the point of view character because he does narrate everything uh yeah and he's he's the you know he's he's who we see the the movie through uh yeah. but he's also yeah he's he's not a very stand-up guy. I mean, he does go into this relationship with Norma intending to take advantage of her. Yeah, but you know? I think one of the things is is that with his character, he goes in to take advantage of Norma based on business. Here's a crackpot who's written a script, and she wants my help. So I'm going to take advantage of that by doctoring this, this lunatic script... <laughs> And when he decides to leave is when actual feelings are involved. Right. It it turns into, oh, no, she's in love with me, and I don't love her. I do not feel that way about her. And that's when he takes off. So there is a kind of... He will... When it comes to the business side of Hollywood, he is willing to kind of blur that that line of being a decent guy. But when it comes to emotional stuff, like the the scene where he literally tells her, you're engaged to somebody and we need to not do what we do right. around each other anymore because uh, it's bad and you're young. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's what, 22? Yeah. She's 22 years old or something like that? Yeah. So yeah, no, no. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, well, so he yeah, he's he does a good performance with a, with a tricky character, and then uh, just there's so there, this if you're a movie person, if you're oh, yeah. a, a, a fan, especially of, of old Hollywood of silent movies, um, this is just such a cool movie because I mean Max is played by Eric von Stroheim. I mean, he's one of the great, one of the great <laughs> silent directors ever, and to see him playing this character and such a weird character, like it's, oh yeah, it's not just that he's there and he's just the butler and oh look that's kind of cool. Eric von Stroheim's the butler. He's such a weird character. He's a character. He's not a cameo. His character means something. Yeah, and mm. you know, and then there are the other cam- like you had a Hopper as herself and Buster Keaton as himself. Like there and Demille, who which actually, are cameos. Which are yeah, I mean Demille, you know, Buster is definitely a cameo. But I mean, but yeah. Demille is he has a couple of scenes and he has an important, a very small but a very important you know role to play in the film, and and that was cool too because I mean th- you know at the time that the movie was made, Demille was still a big director. So oh, yeah, to have it, it would be like somebody making a movie now. You know, where you have an extended, you know, important role given to like Steven Spielberg, 
playing mm-hmm. himself. Uh, yeah. That that actually wasn't just a, a a stunt cameo, but was there because it was important to the movie. Um, yeah. So there, there's all kinds of really cool like Hollywood movie making stuff, and it's Hollywood culture stuff. Holly, too. Yeah, and it's there is a throwaway joke that left me gasp that, that I forgot was in this <laughs> that I gasped at, and that's when he shows up at Artie's Artie's party. And he's like, hey, this is Joe. And he's just saying, he's a head writer, blah, 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 mystery man, and lead suspect in the Black Dahlia. The Black Dahlia. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a dark joke. That's a really dark <laughs> joke, Artie. Yeah, and then there are, and, and it's tossed off with such gaiety, just like, oh, and he's a Black Dahlia suspect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that. Yeah, we, I just implied that he uh, cut a woman in half laugh. and carved a smile into her face. <laughs> Everybody laugh. It's funny that actually happened in this city. Um, But that's the thing is that, you know, um, this there this is very much in in the the framework of like a film noir story because of the narration, Mm -hmm. because of the way it's shot, uh, because of just the the sort of story beats that it takes, because the character of Joe falls into sort of a a film noir archetype. It's kind of a con Um, that goes wrong. Yeah. (laughs) And um but it's also this incredibly funny deadpan black comedy. You know, there are mm. there are there are jokes that are played so so deadpan that unless you pay attention, they might not even register as jokes because they're yeah. played just so so quietly. Like uh, when there's a scene where Joe is uh, describing one of his movies to Norma when they first meet, and he's like, uh, "You might recognize one of the pictures I wrote. It was about Okies in the Dust Bowl." Of course, by the time it played on screen, it all took place on a torpedo boat. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but so it's there's there are moments in it that are just so funny. Um, and and yet it also has like the weirdness with the the dead pet chimpanzee and the sort of uh, great expectations Wuthering Heights sort of gothic, oh, which they put in the narration. Yeah, which yeah, which they put in the narration. But I mean, yeah, it's just it's it really is one of my favorite movies. I just I love this movie. I I I enjoy it more every time I see it. And actually, the first time I ever watched it when I was a teenager, it was because of the Buster Keaton cameo. <laughs> because I was in a huge Buster Keaton phase. You were phase. a weird teen. Dude. I was. A, I was. A, I was. I just fell in love with Buster Keaton when I was like sixteen. Hey, hey fellas, you want to go watch Sunset Boulevard? Yeah. I hear Buster Keaton. Exactly. It. <laughs> but I saw it because I heard Buster Keaton was in it, and it, and I discovered this this amazing film. Steve, you know? we want to go play sports together. No, Buster Keaton. I want to watch Sunset a Buster Boulevard. Keaton movie, fellas. <laughs> Why don't I have any friends? <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, I, I I like the movie. I like the movie a lot. Um, I like the movie a lot too, and I like the movie for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, this is kind of the first movie that really takes a stab at looking at Hollywood itself and its history. Mm-hmm. Um and not doing it in a hey, wow, Hollywood's great. It's a you know, it's where the stars come out to play. Hollywood had a very sanitized feel to it for a long period of time and that was very controlled by the studios the studios clamped down and said okay uh, we're going to tell our stars what they can do what they can't do who they can go out with Um, we're going to cover up secrets we're going to make Hollywood seem like a Shangri-La that everyone's going to want to go to and everyone wants to be a star and hey maybe if you you got the stuff maybe you can become a star too and this movie kind of came out and said there's a lot of struggling people (laughs) (laughs) 
who don't make it big and even people who got movies made don't necessarily make money and um oh yeah it also can be a machine that turns people into crazy monsters yeah and that was not a narrative that was really present in Hollywood up until about this movie when they finally sat down and said okay we're going to we're going to kind of make this movie and it's about this old silent star who's kind of been corrupted by by Hollywood and and uh it's not just her story it's also Max's story mm-hmm. too um yeah cuz he's also an end product of of everything that's going on it kind of skirts the responsibility aspect of it because the people that they lay the blame on is publicity which is never covered in any substantial way in the film and also everyone that's involved in the, at the studio they're all good guys yeah like the script the script supervisor guy uh, Sheldrake is a relatively decent guy he's not awful yeah um and of course Cecil B DeMille is a nice guy who's always like hey you leave her alone it's not my fault you got really nutty yeah. granted I did make a lot of money off of her for a long period of time. I, I was the first person to give her barbiturates. But you know what? That's not my fault that she likes him that so much. <laughs> she, she became a wanted heathen for barbiturates, guys. It's not my fault. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> but it was the first movie to kind of crack that crack that door open and shed a little light onto what it's like to be, to be in L.A. and to be trying to work in the industry. Um, I will agree. It's very noir-ish. Um, there's only one problem that I really have with this film, and that is, please, please, Joe's narration, shut up. <laughs> I'm not dumb, okay? <laughs> Stop telling me what I'm seeing. I get it. A part of a good filmmaker. And if you're trying to tell me that Billy Wilder isn't a good filmmaker, then you don't know what I'm talking about. There's no reason for you to have this narration in there. Your visuals are striking. Yeah. And the way this is, the, the cinematography in this movie is fantastic. And you are telling me stories by just showing me stuff. You don't need to have the narrator telling me everything that's going on. In fact, you could probably remove all of the narration from this movie and I would still know what's happening. And I would be able to fill in all the stuff because it's the visual storytelling in this movie is so strong that I don't need it. But this is like a shot where he's like, a tennis court where people no doubt... They're not much of a tennis court anymore, I guess. And uh, da, 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 da. and we're seeing the tennis court. It's got weeds and stuff in it. All yeah. we need to do is see the tennis court with weeds in it. And it's like, oh, well, this place used to be awesome once. Then they show the, the pool. He's like, oh, I wonder if Rudy Valentino swam in that pool and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, God, shut up, narration. <laughs> and then yeah. they cut to a scene of rats in the pool and Bill Holden going, ugh, rats. Yeah. There's rats in the pool, too. Guess what? I didn't need the narration. (laughs) The whole shot would have been empty pool, rats, ugh, rats. That's what I need. (laughs) So I have a tiny bit of problem with the narration, which just feels overused and and not needed and kind of like, well, you know, Okies and the Ozarks aren't going to understand this movie if we don't put a narration in it because they can't think deep. And it's like, that's not how this works. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know what's weird about that is that joke is actually in the movie too. I mean, there is it. Yeah, I can't there, there's, there's. I mean, not about. I don't think they they make the joke that it, you know, like nobody would understand it if it wasn't for the narration. But there is a line mm-hmm. where uh, uh, when Norma's talking about the story of Salome and how, and then you know she cuts off his head and kisses his cold lips. Yeah, and yeah. and and uh, Joe's response is, "Oh, they're going to love that in Pomona." <laughs> 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 
the whole thing is, I didn't need it. I don't need that in the film for me to get it. The move, the movie is super strong, and the narration kind of detracts. It does add to the noir esque aspects to it, you know, to yeah. the detective narrating his own story, um, and it kind of turns that on its head because the person that's narrating this is dead. Um. But other than that, yeah, you'd be a crazy person not to see Sunset Boulevard if you haven't seen it. Um, it's a classic film. It informs film from this point forward, just as far as characterization is concerned. Um, people borrowed from this movie heavily. Oh, yeah. And often. And I, you'd be hard-pressed to not convince me that actual stars in Hollywood didn't lift directly from this film and apply it to their own lifestyles. <laughs> Michael Jackson, I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you're dead too, but you know what? You shouldn't have watched Sunset Boulevard. It was not a documentary, nor was it a guide to how to live in Los Angeles. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna recommend it, Steve. Oh, Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, take that. Shit, yeah, man. <laughs> Highest recommendation. And now we're gonna recommend another film, maybe actually more noirish film, since we discussed this before we did the podcast. Yeah, Steve, is there a movie? that I told you you had to recommend (laughs) if I was going to recommend the other one. There is, Jason. What a coincidence. There is. Hokey smokes. The film I am going to recommend uh, just so happens to be another of my favorite films. Um, Yet much more of a a conventional noir than Mm -hmm. Sunset Boulevard. One of the really defining entries in the the film noir uh, genre. I am... uh, and it was at, it came out it came out around the same time as Sunset Boulevard. It came out a year before. Um, the film I'm recommending is the brilliant, wonderful, classic uh, film noir from 1949, starring Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles, The Third Man. <gasps> Try a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I did not know that you were going to recommend one <sighs> of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> um, it's one of my favorite movies too. It's it's uh, it's again like like this movie, like a couple of the movies we've reviewed in this series. Like it's a movie that if you're a, a movie completist, if you care about film, it's some it's just one that you just have to see. I mean, yeah. it is so influential and so beautiful in its own right. Um, mm-hmm. It's got so many trappings of film noir. It takes place in the post-war era. Uh, there's the, the, the film noir hero who sort of gets caught up in things out of his control, gets in over his head. Uh, Joseph Cotton is originally just looking to find out... He first, he's looking for his friend Harry, yeah, and Lime. And, and Harry Lyme, and then uh, it's it, it seems that Harry has been killed. So then he's trying to find out what happened to Harry, and yeah. then things get a little bit more complicated than that. <laughs> you can't go much further. I don't want to Steve. spoil it. You're, you're you're hitting the the crossing line. I don't want to spoil it because there are certain <laughs> things, there are certain revelations in the movie that if you don't know ahead of time, will mean a lot more if you've, you've learned them from the movie. One of um, the major pratfalls of doing noir yeah. is that there's always a major risk of letting things <laughs> letting letting your description go a little too far yeah but i mean it's it's an iconic film it's visually amazing mm. the uh the I, I will say this the the entrance or the first appearance of the orson wells character is one of the great entrances one of the great character introductions i've ever seen in a film uh mm. the score with the famous zither music is just timeless once you hear it you will never be able to unhear it uh 
There's a, It'll play in your head yeah. until you die. Until you screaming. die. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a great. There's a. There's a, a great. You know, justly justly iconic scene between the two lead characters on um, on a Ferris wheel where they talk about. Well, um, we're gonna have to talk. I want to do bring one thing up about iconicness of the third man. Okay, but yeah, it's it's just it's a great movie, and especially if you're into film noir. Uh, it's it's one that you absolutely have to see. So I definitely recommend uh, the Third Man. As do I. Now, one of the reasons why I was forcing Steve to do that <laughs> is because the Third Man is one of both Steve and I's favorite films, and it is a favorite film of cinephiles. But unfortunately, it does not qualify to the bizarre standards that we have put up in regards <laughs> to reviewing a film here, which means that it has to be a film of note. It has to be a, considered a classic film, you know, basically a film that practically everyone has heard of. And unless you're a cinephile like me and Steve and some others, you know, people who love movies and, and love devouring films whole, you probably haven't heard of The Third Man. Yeah. Which is a crying shame. But unfortunately, it uh, it uh, does not qualify for us to do a whole show about it. As much as I would love to, I am a stickler to rules. <laughs> Even if they're arbitrary rules that I made up myself. <laughs> but I'm going to also recommend The Third Man as much as Steve, if not more. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, I agree with everything that Steve just said. Woohoo! But now I have to recommend a film, and I'm going to also recommend a noir film, although technically it is a noir film, but it also carries another weighty title, and that is it is um, probably one of the films that kicked off the French New Wave. And that film was called in the U.S. Elevator to the Gallows. It was called in the U.K., other people may know it as Lift to the Scaffolds, <laughs> and in French... And please forgive me, French people who are listening. Essential pour la hache froide. It's so bad. Oh my god, it's <laughs> awful. <laughs> um, basically, it is a noir film um, set in, in, in Paris, directed by Louis Malle. Um, and it is considered the beginning of the new wave. It was released in 1958. And it's basically a pretty general story about, um, you know, Lovers and murder. I mean, a lot of a lot of noirs about that. And that's what this is. Two lovers want to murder, murder a dude, and something happens. And I can't really give away what happens in the film without revealing too much of it. Let me just say, it, it's kind of in the title. Um, <laughs> but um, if you're unfamiliar with the French New Wave, it was a new way of making films. A lot of French films up to that point were doing like historical costume dramas, things like that. And these were the kinds of films that were like, no, let's make films about now set here with different editing techniques and different and, and, and let's draw influences from American noir films. And that's what this movie is. It's basically a noir film. It is a fantastic movie. If you can find it, good luck. Have fun. I have a, a battered, battered DVD copy of it <laughs> that I managed to find. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to find it anywhere else. Hopefully I'm going to be able to find it on Netflix or something like that. But it is a fantastic film. It's a great way to get introduced to the French New Wave if you don't know anything about that. Um, I would tell you who's starring in it, but I will mangle their names. But let's try it. Jean Moreau, Maurice René, and um, also very influential the soundtrack to this movie 
is by Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. And hokey smoke, if you want <laughs> for there to be a, like a defining signature to your film, have Miles Davis score the entire movie. <laughs> yes. Atmosphere coming out of your ass is what I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. You just heard me recommend a French New Wave film. By saying atmosphere coming out of your ass. Where else are you going to get this, ladies and gentlemen? Hey, we are Americans. We are the highest brow, lowbrow reviewers right. on the internet. <laughs> Steve, what do you think about Elevator to the Galaxy? I have actually not seen it. Oh, that's it. Podcast over. Oh, Goodbye. damn. Sorry. Wait. I mean, I, I, mean I, I saw it when I was 10. You're telling your friends at school, hey, fellas, stop playing soccer. I want to watch a French New Wave film. I just love the French New Wave. <laughs> After this, we're going to watch some Jean-Luc Godard. Well, Steve, if you can manage to find it, go find it and watch I it. I want to. Really I want to. Because I know you're a fan of the French New Wave. Oh, God, yes. I love I love. And this things. is like the very beginning. 1958 is considered the start, and this was like one of the early, early, early ones. So, yeah. Go go, go see I it. I will. Do, do, as, do as I command you. I will. I, I... <laughs> I will I will fly to Paris and kick down the door of the Cinémathèque Française <sighs> and, and demand that they show me a print of it. <laughs> and they say, oh, fine. Well, sure, American guy. Since you asked so polite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, that's it. Remember, do you guys, if you guys have a movie that you want us to review, remember, 10 years old, classic, good, bad, famous, not the weird shit that we just recommended that no one ever heard of. But, you know, something big with, like, big-name stars. Well, well, sure. Why not? We'll review that. Fuck it. Uh, just go to the Let Me Listen podcast website. Go to the contact page and send us a note. And let us let us send it to us. And we'll put it on there. Sure. We're nice. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we're agreeable for the most part, I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for who has sent in stuff. It's been greatly appreciated. And a lot of it is fantastic <laughs> anyway until next time this has been Jason Harding saying go see a movie this week and this has been Steve Shives saying you know the worst part is that audiences don't know that somebody sits down and writes a podcast they think that the hosts make it up as they go along um Steve what we don't write any of this podcast down we Oh shit! It doesn't work. We does kind it? of make it up as we go along. Oh god! It's why we just spent an hour and a half reviewing an hour and a half movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, you're not working from a careful script? I've. <laughs> Wait, you have a script? I. You mean I've been over here beating my balls off trying to hit my lines perfectly, and you're just over <laughs> and here you're making like, it god up? Damn it! Why isn't he picking up his lines? <laughs> Jesus Christ! Who's this guy I think he is? Marlon fucking Brando? Uh, it's no Follow the script. It's no wonder our timing is all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Late Seating is a Lemmy Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Music by Kevin McLeod. Produced by Jason Harding. You can find more Lemmy Listen podcasts at our website at www.lemmylistenpodcasts.com. You can also find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes under Lemmy Listen. Please like and leave a review. And thanks for listening.